Hello, and welcome to the podcast devoted to helping you win the race Christ has marked out for you. Eight months after he had watched the twin towers of the World Trade Center come crashing down, Arizona Cardinal safety Pat Tillman was staring at an offer of $3.5 million to continue to play for the Arizona Cardinals. But he could not sign the contract because his heart compelled him to enlist in a far greater mission protecting the country he loved. On May 31st, Pat Tillman enlisted instead in the U.S. Army and became an Army Ranger. On his second tour in Afghanistan, he paid the ultimate price for his country. I believe there is something of Pat Tillman's heart in every man. Sometimes it's buried so far down we don't realize it's there, but part of every man wants to devote himself to a great mission a mission that is worthy of his full allegiance, a mission that really matters. After all, boys don't dream of sitting safely at the computer desk, bringing home a paycheck and becoming a nice guy. Their dreams and the stories they love are about defeating the evil villain to save the world against impossible odds, winning the hand of the beautiful princess in the process and riding in the lead chariot of the victory parade. Boys dream of greatness, which can only come by accomplishing a great mission. So, what is the mission of a Christ-following man? I would argue that our mission has three distinct parts. First, we are called to Christ, to enjoy a love relationship with Him. Second, we are called to be like Christ, to cultivate Christ-like heart attitudes. And third, we're called to exercise dominion for Christ, implementing His agenda in every sphere of human life. For the next four weeks, our focus is on the first and most foundational part of our mission, deepening our love relationship with Christ. We will do this by zooming the camera in on four titles of Jesus given in the Isaiah 9 prophecy of the coming Messiah Jesus, Wonderful Counselor, Almighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. What do these titles tell us about Jesus? And what difference do these descriptions of our Commander-in-Chief make in our everyday lives? Thanks for joining us today for Season 3, Episode number 49 of Mission Focus Men for Christ. My name is Gary Yeagle. Everyone knows that the mission of the church is to make disciples. So before digging into why it matters that Jesus is called Wonderful Counselor, I want to show how the word disciple points to the three-part calling that I mentioned above. The earlier Christians had a much clearer idea of what a disciple was than we do today. Bands of disciples with their masters were quite common in Jesus' day. They understood three callings of discipleship. First, everyone knew that a disciple had the deepest kind of possible personal friendship relationship with his master because they did life together. The language that we use for this part of discipleship is that we are called to Christ to enjoy a love relationship with him. Second, everyone also knew that a disciple, the Greek word is mathetes, was a learner, was a follower of a master. The disciple patterned his whole life on the teaching and example of the master. The disciple's greatest goal was to be like his master. We say we are called to be like Christ, to Christ-like character, which is consistent with much of the New Testament focus on godly character. 
Third, the early church understood why Jesus' great commission to make disciples of the nations in Matthew twenty-eight nineteen to 20 was preceded by verse 18. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples. Jesus was not referring in Matthew 28 to his eternal sovereign authority as God the Son, which he always had. Rather, Jesus was speaking as the second Adam. He was talking about his defeat of Satan, sin, and death, the tyrants who had usurped the rule of Adam's kingdom, enslaving mankind. The early church understood the gospel, that it is not the gospel of personal private salvation, but is the good news that the second Adam has come to overthrow Satan's sin and death, fix everything that has been broken by sin, and establish the rule of the second Adam, the kingdom of righteousness, Jesus' kingdom, over planet earth. They understood that to be Christ's disciple was to enlist in his cause, the spread of his kingdom of righteousness over every square inch of the planet. Therefore, this podcast defines the third part of our mission this way. We are called to exercise dominion for Christ, to implement Christ's agenda in your role as husband, father, employee, employer, neighbor, church member, steward of resources, ambassador of the kingdom, every sphere of life. Exercising dominion for Christ recaptures our calling to shape culture and to guide our children to do so, which is why we just completed an eight-week series protecting our children from enticing but false worldviews. Today we return to the core of our mission called to Christ to enjoy a love relationship with Him. Our goal is to understand our commander-in-chief better so that we can love Him more. Isaiah 9-6 tells us about our CO, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Before digging into what it means that RCO is the Wonderful Counselor, let's remind ourselves why our mission always begins with that first third, our love relationship with Christ. Six particular reasons come to mind. First, because God the Father in Deuteronomy 6 and Jesus in John 14 say, If you love me, keep my commandments. And the greatest commandment is, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind and with all of your strength. It's sort of circular. Second, because in helping the Corinthians defeat lust, Paul explained that we were made for God, and God is the answer to our deepest longings. Third, life is designed for us to first set our hearts upon delighting in God. The very first two commandments teach us that we are to set our hearts on no other God, allowing no other God to steal first place in our hearts. Fourth, because in God's design, he wants us to renew our hearts, filling them with joy, delighting in him. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. To rejoice means to choose to take delight in. Number five, because life is the result of knowing God. 
Jesus prayed to the Father, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Eternal life doesn't wait until we die. It begins now and continues into eternity and describes not just the duration of life, but the quality of life. And finally, six, because the power to accomplish the other two parts of our mission, becoming like Jesus in our inner heart attitudes and accomplishing God's agenda in each part of my life, is dependent upon the strength of my relationship with Christ, the vine. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me, from John 15. So, let's get to better know Jesus, the Messiah, as God reveals him to us in Isaiah 9, and especially why it matters that Jesus is the wonderful counselor. Here are three observations. Because Jesus is the wonderful counselor, at every point, his treatment of us is based upon divine wisdom. Of course, the whole point to the mystery that God is using Isaiah to reveal here is the incarnation. The deliverer will be human, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. But his four titles underscore the ultimate deity of this child deliverer as well. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. But what distinctive characteristics of Jesus does Wonderful Counselor point to? The Hebrew for Wonderful Counselor is literally Wonder of a Counselor. In chapters 1 through 8 of Isaiah, the folly of human wisdom is derided, the chapters before this ninth chapter. In contrast, the coming Messiah would give wondrous counsel, unequaled and unfailing in its wisdom. The Messiah's wisdom is further described two chapters later in Isaiah 11. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. You know, true to this prophecy, it's almost humorous to watch the wisdom of Jesus the Messiah confound the scribes and Pharisees in the New Testament who were trying to trap him. For example, they knew he was widely beloved for his compassion and mercy toward the outcasts and despised sinners. But they also knew that as a true rabbinic teacher from God, he had to uphold the Torah. So in John 8, the scribes and Pharisees implement their plan to trap Jesus. First, they set up a woman to commit adultery in a situation where they could catch her in the act, which was necessary under the law. That was a setup, and that's suggested by the fact that they brought only the woman to Jesus and not the man. Then they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? What an ingenious trap. If Jesus says, stone her, he loses his following with the people. If he says, don't stone her, he shows that he is a false prophet undermining the Torah. But Jesus blows their trap out of the water by saying, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. 
At another point, they tried to trap Jesus by asking whether it was lawful to pay taxes to Caesar. If Jesus answered yes, he would lose favor with the heavily tax-burdened people. But if he answered no, the scribes and Pharisees would charge him with insurrection to the Roman government. But their trap is no match for Jesus, the wisdom of God incarnate. He just said, show me the coin for the tax. And Jesus said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. The Hebrew words used for wonderful counselor tell us that Jesus knows exactly how life works. He knows how the human heart is shaped, what is required to satisfy its yearnings. He knows what choices lead to success and which foolish ones undermine prosperity. He knows how relationships work and the exact way that humans mess them up. Since the fall of mankind, we are bent to run our finger against the grain of the universe, covering our lives with painful splinters. Paul tells us in Colossians 2 that all things were created by and through Christ, and John tells us that he was the divine word or logos. Our Messiah's role as wonderful counselor might be in view in Proverbs 8 when God's wisdom is personified. That text says, the Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago, I was set up at the first before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains had been shaped, I was brought forth. When he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I, wisdom, was beside him like a master workman. And I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world, and delighting in the children of man. Jesus' office as Wonderful Counselor seems intended to assure us that our Commander-in-Chief knows what he's doing. He designed life. He knows what will lead to our fulfillment in this life and eternal joy in the life to come. The word oops is never heard from our CO's lips. He is in charge of making sure that all things work together for our good. Joseph was betrayed by his brothers, sold into slavery, and falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. But all of that led to him becoming the number two ruler in all of Egypt, second only to Pharaoh himself, and to be in a position to help the family he loved to survive a famine. Because Jesus is the wonderful counselor, it is a no-brainer to trust in the Lord with all our hearts and lean not to our own understanding in all our ways to acknowledge him, trusting him to make our paths straight. So our first observation is that Jesus, the wonderful counselor, knows the beginning from the end and always does what is best for us. The second reason Jesus being the wonderful counselor matters is that it shows that he came to redeem our thought process from folly. Emphasizing that our Messiah is the wonderful counselor may be a wake-up call to the truth that sin has darkened our minds far more than we realize. One of the major themes of the book of Isaiah was the way that Israel's earthly wisdom, often gained from Egypt, led them astray. 
For example, 521, woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. Or chapter 47, verse 10, you felt secure in your wickedness. You said, no one sees me. Your wisdom and your knowledge led you astray. Proverbs 14.12 is very clear about our thinking process being corrupted by sin. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. And in case we missed it, Proverbs 16.25 repeats 14.12 word for word. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. And then notice how clear Paul is about the way sin has corrupted our thought process from Ephesians 4. You must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Christians need to have our minds renewed, set free. We need to realize that we default to folly more often than we realize. Jesus is the wisdom of God, the wonderful counselor whose goal for us is to seek the wisdom of his word. The very book of Proverbs is introduced with these words about seeking God's wisdom and avoiding folly. Proverbs is given, verse 2, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands gain guidance to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge." Fools despise wisdom and instructions. Humans need a Savior who will first and foremost set them free from their natural folly. The Messiah is the wonderful counselor who restores us to life viewed from God's perspective, to empower us to shape our lives by God's wisdom. The third observation we want to make about Jesus being the wonderful counselor we need is that the Messiah brings the new covenant and pours out the Holy Spirit to write God's word, God's wisdom on our hearts. That's a very significant part of the new covenant and old covenant difference. The Jeremiah 31 prophecy is cited by Hebrews in the New Testament as now fulfilled in Christ. These are the words, for this is the covenant that I will make, of course, that has come true now in Jesus, with the house of Israel after these days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. That's a repetition of the covenant formula. At Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was more fully poured out as the one who dwells in us, whose job as the paraclete is to apply the Word of God to our hearts. Again, this is an extremely beneficial aspect of life under the new covenant. The wonderful counselor, whose wisdom shows us how to live, and whose ascension to the Father means the Holy Spirit is poured out and now indwells Christians, empowers them to apply the Word of God to everyday life. 
And that is a central tenet of the Christian faith. But there is a caveat. There is a specific tool that is required for the Holy Spirit to do his work of transforming our minds and then ultimately our lives. It is the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. Jesus' messianic title, Wonderful Counselor, reminds us that at the core of Christ's redemptive work in our lives is the renewing of our minds. In Paul's great theological treatise on God's grace, explained in the first 11 chapters of Romans, he challenges Christians in response to such grace to offer themselves, including their very bodies, to God as a living sacrifice. Then the very first specific instruction he gives is this. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The wonderful counselor, our Messiah, wants our minds transformed by the word of God. From the day Adam and Eve fell and our sinful mind became clouded, we have needed the wisdom of the wonderful counselor. Now we have the Holy Spirit to help us, but we must still be the ones to seek it. And if we will seek that wisdom, the promises of the blessings of wisdom are still there. From Proverbs 3, blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gains understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand, and in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. And then from Proverbs 8, Does not wisdom call? Take my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels, and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight. I have strength. By me, kings reign, and rulers decree what is just. By me, princes rule, and nobles, all who govern justly. I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold, and my yield than choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness in the paths of justice, granting an inheritance to those who love me and filling their treasuries. And now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise and do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death." How many ways does God have to say it? There is no investment in life that pays greater dividends than time spent in God's word gaining God's wisdom. None.
To summarize this episode, our creation design as men is to want to do what Pat Tillman did, find a mission compelling enough to inspire total allegiance. For Christians, our mission has that potential to capture our hearts if we will let it. A study of the term discipleship, as understood by Jesus' earliest followers, reveals a three-part mission for Jesus' followers. We are called to Christ, to become like Christ, and called to implement His agenda of righteousness in every sphere of our lives. As we begin a new series to deepen our understanding of who Jesus is so that we can love Him more, we noted six reasons why this part of our mission, called to Christ, to cultivate, strengthen, and enjoy our bond, our relationship with Him, is at the foundation of the rest of our mission. First, loving God is the greatest commandment. Second, if we don't develop a taste for Jesus, other appetites will control us. Third, because the affections of our hearts become imbalanced if we don't set our affections on God as our first love. Fourth, because God intends for our lives to be filled with joy, and Scripture says that in God's presence is fullness of joy, Psalm 16. Fifth, because Jesus taught us that knowing God is life itself, John 17, 3. And finally, because fruitfulness in the rest of our mission can only come by abiding in Christ the vine. We saw that Jesus' title, Wonderful Counselor, sheds light on our relationship with him in three ways. First, it points to the superiority of his wisdom over all other wisdom, including our own. And is a reminder to trust Him with all of our hearts when life does not go well and lean not to our own understanding. Second, Wonderful Counselor is a Messianic title which points to our need for a Redeemer from our folly. We need to be saved not just from punishment for our sins, but from the corruption of our thinking process. And third, the Wonderful Counselor, who is the Messiah, has done something stunning in redemptive history, poured out the Holy Spirit to write the Word of God upon our hearts. We have an advocate indwelling us to transform us by the renewing of our minds and apply the Word of God to our lives. All three observations about Jesus' title, Wonderful Counselor, point to the strategic importance of heavily investing in God's Word to obtain God's wisdom. To neglect God's wisdom is to bring ruin to our lives. For further prayerful thought, number one, do you agree or disagree that every man has a little of Pat Tillman in him, a capacity to be inspired by a great mission? See your show notes for additional questions. Today's podcast, as all podcasts are, is available in print format on my website, forgingbonds.org. Also on this homepage is a link to an index of past podcast series and episodes that you might want to listen to when you have a chunk of free time. This link is also in your show notes. Next week, we continue our four-part series, Loving Jesus More Because I Know Him Better, as we look at the significance of Jesus' title from Isaiah 9, Mighty God. Why that title? What does it mean to us? Why did God want us to identify Jesus with that specific title? For further information about our ministry, go to forgingbonds.org. And if this podcast has been helpful to you, don't forget to tell other Christian men about a podcast that helps them stay focused on their mission from Christ by inspiring them each week while they commute or work out. <laughs>